0: I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever, but don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and I'm excited that you're listening in for season five, where we are starting off each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And this month, our first episode introduced my German exchange, quote unquote, niece, Tati. Tati shared about growing up in Germany, how strange it was to come to the U.S. and meet people who actually believed in God. And she talked about being content with her atheism and disbelief in God. I loved our conversation and Tati's honesty. I just love Tati. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Tati and hear her story. We'll put a link in the show notes and you can find those at findingsomethingreal.com. Also, a quick shout out to our Patreon supporters. Thank you for your support of this program. And friend, if you enjoy this podcast, I would love for you to consider supporting what we're doing here by becoming a monthly patron. You can find all that over at findingsomethingreal.com. Uh, Tati couldn't be here for this recording, but she actually did leave me a voicemail to let me know she regrettably had a schedule conflict, and I think that's because I told her if she was going to make it to any of our recordings, this one I thought she might have especially enjoyed. That's because today's guest has a history of making atheists feel comfortable enough to share their objections with him. And in Tati's stead... I asked a former co-host of this program to join me for this conversation. She's from Europe, has shared some similar objections to Tati about, uh, as Tati um, to faith in the past, and she's one of my favorite young people. So when I was prepping for today's episode, I reached out to her and said, hey, would you come on and represent for Tati? And she happily agreed. She's an absolute joy in my life, and I'm so excited to welcome back to the podcast my Italian exchange daughter, Lou. Lou, welcome back.
1: Thank you for having me back again. Oh,
0: (laughs) now you just finished your first year at university in Venice, Italy. You still have some exams, you said, but I do (laughs) pretty amazing. It's 1130 at night where you're at. You're joining us here. And what's so awesome, because I just called you today. I just said, hey, I'm prepping for this. I think you'd really enjoy this conversation. Um, You said, what do I need to do to prepare? And you listen to um, what we're going to be talking about here today, which I just think is um, amazing. And we'll get to that in a minute. But today's returning guest has become one of my favorites. He's the former editor of Premier Magazine, the leading Christian magazine in the United Kingdom. He is also a devoted husband, father of four, an Oxford graduate, highly sought after speaker and accomplished author, but he's probably most well-known as the presenter of premier Christian Radio's flagship apologetics and theology debate weekly program called Unbelievable. The show brings Christians and non-Christian guests together to engage in conversations around ideas and objections leveled at the Christian faith. It has also produced an annual evangelism and apologetics conference. Our guest book, Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian, has received rave reviews with one reviewer named Robert L. White, saying this was possibly his new favorite intro to apologetics book, and saying, quote, So many other apologetics books can be inadvertently preachy due to the fact that there is often an academic telling you why it's smart to believe. In this case, you have someone that is more of an outside observer, interviewing hundreds of people over 10 years, and coming to commonsensical conclusions based on that. Yes, he was a Christian to start one, but still, the fact that he is the interviewer and not the expert allows the reader to really sympathize and go along for the journey, end quote. I love uh, our guest's ministry and what he's doing with his podcast has been an inspiration here on Finding Something Real, so I'm truly delighted and honored that you're back. Justin Brierly, welcome back wow. to the Finding Something Real podcast.
2: Well, how could I not return after an <laughs> intro like that, you know? I, <laughs> I need to hire you as my new PR person, because <laughs> I, I was like, I want to meet this person. Who, who is she talking about? And uh, well, yeah, that's wow. very, very kind. You, you were very, very generous. Oh, your
0: it, well, now, it's all but. stuff I found online. So I mean, it's all out there for the taking. Um, Justin, I have to say it's and I, I had to write this down because It's always been a bit memorable behind the scenes when you've come on this program. The first time you joined us, it was the first day of online middle school for my son, Caleb, who joined us. Mm. And there was a wildfire a few miles from our home. And I was a Mm. bit of an emotional wreck when you joined. I think the (laughs) fake eyelashes were falling off (laughs) before you came because I'd been (laughs) crying. The second time you were here, my husband and I had gone on a road trip to Las Vegas for my birthday. And the recording was at 1 a.m. And I stayed up to record with you and Dakmar from the Netherlands. She says, Hi, by the way, uh, live from the M Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was all very dramatic. So this time, I'm hoping all the drama is reserved for what you're going to share about your ministry, uh, because you're here to share about that. Um, I'd love for you to tell whoever's listening a little bit more about your program, and also this special series that you're doing.
2: Yeah, well, um, for those who who haven't bumped into it yet, I've been hosting the Unbelievable show for 16 years now, believe it or not. Um, it's, It's a show where we bring christians and non-christians together for dialogue and debate um started off as a radio show here in the uk uh, became a podcast we were fairly early adopters of that has since gone on to become a video channel as well and and found life in other ways through books and uh, conferences and other th- resources but yeah at, at the core of it it's, it's just about having good conversations really and helping christians to understand um their faith uh, to share it more confidently um to be able to listen to other perspectives and understand them better and equally for non-christians to do the same from their their vantage point um what we're excited about just now is uh we we've got well, a whole bunch of different resources launching but one of one of them very significant is the big conversation season four um the big conversation is kind of unbelievable with bells and whistles on. Basically. <laughs> uh it's it's kind of we, we 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 kind of um you know we have the budget to kind of bring in some really interesting big names um so in previous years, we've we've had all kinds of interesting people on the atheist side um, uh, who've who've come into studio and done discussions with significant Christians. Uh, this year, uh, yeah, we've just we've just begun uh, recently um, with Richard Dawkins and Francis Collins kicking off our new season of the Big Conversation, debating biology, belief, and COVID. Francis Collins, uh, if you don't know, is uh, probably one of the world's leading Christian scientists. Uh, he was. Uh, head of the Human Genome Project, Mapping the Human Genome. He led the uh, National Institutes of Health in the USA, responding to COVID over the last couple of years. Uh, He's just recently been appointed acting science advisor to the president, Um, and he's a committed Christian. Um, Opposite probably the world's best known atheist, Richard Dawkins, also a renowned scientist in his own right. Uh, so, yeah, so really pleased to bring those two together as we relaunch uh, the Big Conversation season four and lots of other exciting guests um, who will make up the rest of this season. Um, all kinds of interesting conversations on consciousness and God, AI and the future. Um, we're we're going to be talking about the search for God uh, among millennials and Gen Z. Uh, we've got a great conversation on conversion um, between an adult convert and author and poet called Paul Kingsnorth. Uh, and... Former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. So, yeah, just just really excited for our, for our lineup this year. And um, uh, if you don't mind me giving a plug for the website, uh, Not you, at can, all. You, you can find it at thebigconversation.show. And you can even actually get yourself booked in for, uh, if, if if this goes out in time, Janelle, uh, for our um, uh, next kind of live webinar that we're doing one of these as, um, which is Michaela Peterson and John McRae uh, discussing whether. Gen Z and Millennials are ready to believe in God again. That's on twelfth of July. If you want to join us live for that one, you can you can book in from the show page. So yeah, that's that's what we're that's what we're up to at the moment.
0: Wow. Well, I want to get into the big conversation. Uh, I want to ask some specific uh, questions about that in a second. But before I dive in, um, sixteen years is a long time, Justin. And Mm. as you mentioned, you guys have a lot of additional things that are going on in fact I bought a DVD that came to uh, I had gotten an email from premier Christian radio in the UK and it was a um a documentary with John Lennox and you were in oh, it yeah. you were in that oh wow it was Crazy. uh yeah uh, do you know the name of it <laughs> uh,
2: is it is it against the tide? yes uh, yes, yes yes you yes. were
0: featured I mean it wasn't just a small thing but when my kids were watching it with me I'm like oh he's been on my podcast. I know him. <laughs> anyway, it was excellent, by the way. That's, that will be in the show notes because it was amazing. But you're doing a lot of things. Um, I even watched uh, an interview you did with Philip Yancey, which was fantastic, by the way. Mm, um, so you're doing a lot. What is it that inspires you to keep going with what you're doing with these conversations? Why, why keep having conversations between Christians and non-Christians?
2: I think for very similar reasons to why you do your your podcast (laughs) to be honest janelle um it's because i honestly believe that uh there's a great value in modeling these kinds of conversations um we live in an age you know i don't need to tell you this where where sadly civil discourse and good faith conversations are getting more and more rare at least in the online world um as we see the polarization of our culture and you know different ideologies kind of constantly battling it out and and I I honestly think there's a huge value in actually bringing people face to face and if not face to face at least face to zoom face and and being able to have a kind of honest genuine open kind of conversation and very often um, it gives you the opportunity to move beyond the stereotypes and you know the assumptions that we have about each other and to see the human and to to actually you know have a genuine kind of conversation that actually where we listen to each other and and you know take things from each other and and are willing to do that um and for me uh you know that's the reason i've been doing it is because i i see the value of it i see the way it um it impacts the people who come on the show um very rarely does someone you know change their opinion in in the course of one hour of conversation but i have seen the way that it's has at least changed their perspective very often of christians if they're an atheist or a skeptic you know they might go away you know with with a different opinion at least Uh, and very often vice versa that it, it kind of helps to to shape the way the christians who come on you know engage with you know their atheist and skeptical counterparts, but perhaps most importantly, it's, it's the effect it has on the listeners themselves. And mm-hmm. I just, I've received so many emails. I've been so blessed by the numbers of people from both sides, Christian and non-Christian, who have said um, this show helped me to, you know, put things together to to kind of go out and have this kind of conversation myself. I, you know, I, I've been talking to someone on Instagram in the last week who says i i'm i'm part of a really he's a teenager you know kind of college age who's grown up in a very strict conservative christian background and he's now having questions about sort of issues around science and faith and evolution and that kind of thing and the show has been a bit of a lifeline to him that okay yeah i'm not alone there are other people asking these questions i I, you know this is all you've shown me a way to maybe navigate these conversations, these difficult conversations I'm having with my parents at the moment. So that's just one little story of, of many where there are just all kinds of people where it just seems to connect, you know, having these open-ended conversations between different people works because everyone out there is probably in a similar situation where they're having to have <clears throat> interesting, awkward conversations with people. And it's sort of, um, it gives them a bit of a roadmap for how to try and do that with, grace and respect and you know and and, uh, and so on uh it, it's you know i've got to confess it, it, the, the emails i love receiving the most are from non-christians when they get in touch and say your your show you know i haven't it hasn't converted me but i really love the way that you do this or i really you know appreciate the tone in which this conversation was because for me that's uh that's priceless i can't put a price on that you know there's there's so you know, I, I'm, I'm so genuinely touched whenever anyone reaches out to say something like that. and So it's for them that I do it, you know, um, pays the bills as well, which all helps. But, <laughs> um, but the, the point is, you know, there are there are many things you could do to, to make a living. I, I feel like God's given me you know, graciously a gift of being able to bring people together like this. And um, and so I'll do it as long as people are happy to keep keep listening to it, really.
0: Yeah, well, I checked out um, the conversation that you had between uh, Richard Dawkins and Francis Collins. And as of today, I wanna say it was like 35,000 views on YouTube and it's only been out for a few days. Um, When this episode of the Finding Something Real podcast airs, I'm sure it will be quite a bit more. Um, I saw one commentator said, and again, I quote, quite a coup for unbelievable to get these two together, (laughs) uh, which I thought was a great comment. Um, This is a behind the scenes type of question, but how do you decide who to pair How do you know when you're going to have a great conversation between people Mm. with completely different viewpoints?
2: Yeah, I mean, so with this particular conversation, I'd been wanting to get Richard Dawkins back on the show for some time. But let's face it, Richard Dawkins is a busy man. He gets many invitations. And the, 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 the reality is I knew that there would only probably be a small handful of Christians that Richard Dawkins, you know, it would be you know he would feel comfortable coming on with who he'd kind of feel was kind of worth his time having a dialogue with uh and who he sort of had the relationship with to kind of make it work and and it just struck me Francis Collins might just be one of those people um I I'm fortunate to have you know already been in touch with Francis uh, about the big conversation he's kind of knows the show he's he he appreciates what we do so I'd said if I invited Richard Dawkins would you be up for that he said Give it a go. And uh, and, you know, who knows? I I was actually when I read email Richard Dawkins, this was just after Christmas. Um, <laughs> I I I thought oh, he's going to say no, he's busy. He you know, he he very rarely accepts these kinds of invitations to 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 do dialogues or debates with with Christians. So I, you could have knocked me down with a feather when he came back quite promptly and said, actually, um, I have a great deal of respect for Francis Collins and I'd be delighted to take part. Hmm. Uh, and I I was walking on cloud nine because <laughs> I was, you know, I was not expecting that answer. If I'm honest, I'm, I'm a man of very little faith, probably when it comes down to it. But but anyway, he he said yes. And and so it was set up. Um, and I think the reason I yeah, it, there's, the, you know, with someone like Richard Dawkins, you, you have to bring I think you have to have him on with someone who he he feels he's his intellectual equal. And and, that, and Francis Collins is every bit of that and more when it comes to the science, you know, he is such a genius, really, when it comes to genetics. He, you know, mapped the human genome. He, uh, you know, was head of the National Institutes of Health, uh, leading COVID response. He's recently, been, you know, uh, made a advisor to the president and so on. Um, but there was also, as it turned out, and I think, again, this is God's grace, really, it, what it turned out, and I, I soon discovered after issuing the invitation, was that Dawkins also had has quite a lot of respect and affection for Francis Collins because of um, the kindness he showed to their mutual friend Christopher Hitchens when um, Hitchens, one of the sort of new atheists, uh, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. Um, for whatever reason, he and Francis Collins had sort of struck up a mutual friendship. And in his sort of final months, um, Collins was able to... Um, do some genomic analysis on the cancer that Hitchens had. And from that, they were able to sort of do some specialized medication for him that, that gave him longer than he would have had otherwise. And I think it was partly on that basis as well, that Dawkins was more than happy to sit down and have that kind of a conversation with someone who had shown that kind of respect and kindness to to a friend of his. So, so um, you know, uh, that's, that's just an example, you know, those kinds of combinations don't happen every day. Let me assure you. And but it was just the right timing. It was the right matching, um, and I was just glad to make it happen. How I, you know, generally select the guests, though, it's it's a bit of a dance. Of you know, maybe an idea comes in, or a guest is suggested, or I get approached by someone, and then it's sort of working out what they want to talk about, who's the right kind of sort of match for that particular perspective um and i guess you know that's where the 16 years of of having done the show really comes in handy because um i've got a file of facts in my mind now of kind of well if i put him on against that person we'd have that kind of conversation but if i brought that person on the you know and um and so for me it's it's about sort of just trying to work out what kind of conversation would be helpful for the listeners uh and and then you know, and then I kind of maybe think of like, I don't know, five people who might be appropriate. And then I might start from the top of that list and, and start to see if see if they're available and um, don't get it right all the time. Sometimes, you know, you, you have some episodes of the show where people are speaking past each other a bit or it wasn't quite the right kind of combination. But most of the time it seems to work. And and, uh, you know, we we end up having a good conversation off the back of it.
0: Mm, yeah. I recently had Brian Drake on this podcast, The Christian Illusionist, mm. and he'd been on your podcast. And, uh, yeah, it was it was fun to talk, chat with him um, about his experience a little bit on your show. And um, I'm really grateful for what you do. I before I jump into some of these questions, Lou, you watched, uh, this uh, conversation just today between Richard Dawkins and Francis Collins, and you'd never watched Unbelievable before or uh, mm-hmm. heard of Justin Brierley, except no, for heard- the embarrassing yeah. stories I told you. So, <laughs> Do you want
1: to share yeah, what you thought. I, yeah, it it was okay. It was the first time I listened to Unbelievable. I mean, I've heard Danielle talk about it, and I know that Caleb really liked it. Um, but it was the first time I actually listened to it. And I really I really enjoyed the episode. I mean, if all the episodes are like that <laughs> <laughs> No, I found it really interesting and and both sides really I feel like they both brought up okay, as Janelle said earlier, um I'm I'm a bit like in the middle ground, I feel like. Um so both sides uh, brought up points that I, that I felt were really compelling and really interesting and at least worth thinking about um, mm. later after the episode ended. Um, but yeah, I really I really enjoyed it and I loved how it was such a respectful conversation on both sides and you could really tell that they, that they did share. Um, mutual respect for one
2: another and it was awesome I really like that wow god bless you thank you uh, Lou and uh I wanted to say you know you can be perfectly honest and I will not be in the least offended if you had said I really hated Unbelievable and I'm never never going to watch it again but I'm 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 also glad that you you enjoyed it (laughs) so thank you very much that's that's really wonderful
0: Mm. well in that conversation Dawkins said uh Quote, God is not necessary, and you don't actually need a designer. Um, He said that the appearance of design is an illusion. And yet he also admitted that if someone was going to convince me of the need for God, it would be there, meaning physics, the laws of nature. The idea that if you change any physical constraints, even by tiny fraction, we would cease to exist. I think it's called the fine-tuning argument. What did you make of that comment by Richard Dawkins uh, when he admitted that?
2: Well, I, 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 yeah, again, it was a really interesting moment in it because um, you don't often hear concessions like that from Dawkins. And uh, as he himself was keen to point out, this does not in any way mean he's about to convert to yeah. Christianity or anything like that. He said that a couple of times, I think. He did. He wanted to really make sure that yeah. he, this, this clip was not taken out of context, but um, the, the, the point is that I, I, was, I was very gratified because you can sometimes have the kinds of conversations where no one's willing to give an inch, you know, and and it's sort of, you know, and, and you don't feel like anyone's really open to kind of the possibility even of something that might move the dial a little bit. So it was really refreshing to hear that. Um, personally, I, I thought that was a really interesting concession that he said, this is this is the area where if you were going to convince me, you know, I you might be able to. Um, it was also interesting, though, to hear kind of him explain why ultimately he doesn't go down the God route, um, because when I look at the universe, and I look at the evidence from the fine tuning of the universe. And I, I don't know, Lucrezia, if you've ever looked into this, but there's there's this extraordinary phenomenon, which is called the fine tuning of the universe for life, where it would appear that the the fundamental parameters and laws of the universe are set up in an incredibly finely calibrated way so that if they were Ever so slightly different from the, the the numbers and values they take, then chemistry wouldn't be possible. You know, we wouldn't be able to have stars and planets and biological life, anything like that. And when you add all of these together, it just seems very, very, very unlikely that this is just somehow by chance that we got here. It, it, it doesn't look like that. um So a lot of people have said, well, this seems to be evidence that there's some kind of design behind the universe that we're supposed to be here. Um, you know, and and that's why i think it has been a powerful argument for people you know like dawkins he's not the only person in fact the person i mentioned earlier christopher hitchens uh he once said something very similar he said if if there was a, an argument that might go some way to convincing me that there's a god it might be the fine-tuning argument um and uh and and so so then it was interesting to hear why he said ultimately he doesn't go down that line because um he, he said the problem is i i'm such a fan of evolution you know the the biological kind of perspective on how complexity arose where it which is about you know going from simple things to complex things he said the problem i have with god being behind the universe is that you throw this great complex explanation in at the beginning and he doesn't like that he says it doesn't doesn't it doesn't feel right to him um now there were two two things that occurred to me firstly I just disagree that God is this complex explanation. God is God isn't complex in the way that like a universe is complex, you know. God isn't made up of lots of different moving physical parts. In 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 a sense God it could be argued is a very simple thing. God God is just a, a kind of a, a divine mind, uh, a kind of that you know the the ground of everything if you like. Um so I, I didn't quite buy his kind of concept of God, let's say. But it also struck me that he was willing to admit and he sort of said it he called it a presupposition that it was it was it wasn't so much an intellectual argument against god it was more it was more his feeling that he didn't like the idea he didn't like the idea that that god would be the explanation of of life of the universe of the physics and everything else he just you know just didn't sit well with him and and i think again that was quite an honest refreshing admission to say you know I, I just have a presupposition I, I you know it's not so much a you know an intellectual argument against god it's just it, it, it's just it doesn't doesn't work Yeah, you know, i don't i don't like it essentially um and i think you know when when it comes down to it um we're often less rational than we think we are we a lot of us i think are, are going more on intuitions than purely logical rational arguments and you know there's there's good psychological work that's been done to show that we we're more frequently using reason and arguments to kind of basically uh, shore up a kind of intuition we already hold, if you like, that, that actually often we, you know, we we already believe something sort of in our heart, and then we use our mind to kind of, you know, get the evidence we need to kind of, you know, support that that thesis. And and I think a, a scientist like Richard Dawkins is just as capable of those kinds of biases as uh, as any Christian or, or anyone. So for me, that that was just an interesting kind of moment, you know, in the show where it just showed that we're all human, you know, even people who say on the surface, at least I'm I'm all about evidence. I'm all about reason. I'm all about arguments. There's still at at the basis of it. There's 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 always going to be that human element of what I feel like inside, you know, is actually going to be driving a lot of at the end of the day, what I'm willing to accept as a possible explanation for things. Yeah. So that, that was, that for me was a, like you, I found that a really fascinating moment in, in that conversation to know,
0: mm-hmm. And I think, he, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he went on to talk about how perhaps he could be convinced someone like him, I should clarify, someone like him could be convinced to become a deist, but that would not get him to Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. It's gotten quite a few people Uh, to Christianity in the past I think C.S. Lewis uh, one famous example Um, for you having now had these conversations for 16 years why have you chosen to take that leap of faith between deism and Christianity and Jesus just for people like Lou who might be
2: listening
1: yeah I was honestly gonna um, bring it up too I thought that was really interesting to be honest
2: yeah, which which bit particularly, Lou, would, did, did you find so interesting? Just, just... I think
1: it's just that usually um, we talk about um, it's Christians and atheists in particular having this kind of conversation. So, I mean, I didn't expect him to say it. I mean, it makes sense, but I didn't really expect him to bring it up. That I mean, he made it clear that he... He's not gonna believe in a creator and everything, but like somebody could believe in a greater creator and a greater mind that designed life and the universe. Um, because of this, but that doesn't mean that then they believe in Jesus, yes, and the resurrection. And that's that's as you said, that's a leap of faith. That's those are really different things, and I found that really interesting
2: yeah it's so interesting to, to hear you you kind of feeling that that way as well Lou, about the about that aspect of the conversation and and I think you're right there's there, there is a big difference between a kind of getting to a point where you can say, yes, there's some kind of a mind behind the universe, there's some kind of transcendent cause that you might choose to call God, you know, that's kind of uh, set the whole thing going, let's say. Um, and there have been, you know, a number of, you know, that, that you know, that there's what might be called the God of the philosophers, a kind of deist God who sort of sets things in motion. Um, and I think that's probably for someone like Richard Dawkins. That's not I don't think that's too threatening in a way, because it's um, it's still sort of fairly abstract in a way. It's, it's a kind of it's a God that doesn't doesn't make too many personal demands on me it's it's sort of it's a sort of it's it's a kind of just another part of the natural order um and and to that extent i i can see why you know if it's just a kind of intellectual next step someone might say well yeah okay fair enough i'm i'm not going to just commit to atheism just because you know i'm i'm so sort of Uh, Biased in that direction. I'm, I'm, you know, you know, always dismiss the God option. Maybe maybe there's an openness to to the idea that there's a God behind it. I think the real difference, though, is that it it is a big leap from that sort of God out there that you know gives that I kind of kind of intellectually assent to to a God who comes into our time and space and says, "I'm going to get personal," and I'm going to, you know ask you to do things and i'm going to you know make demands on your life uh because that's what christianity is you know it's the belief that god didn't stay far away and distant but came to be part of the creation in jesus christ and and that jesus christ is alive and you are able to to be in relationship with god through jesus christ today and for someone like richard dawkins you know it's one thing to kind of say I can conceive of the idea of a God who maybe put the universe into motion, but that's a completely different thing to a God who comes into the universe and actually wants to have a relationship with me. Now, how would you convince someone like Dawkins to take that next step? Because it is a big step. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to be through the same kind of arguments like the fine-tuning argument you know if the fine-tuning argument got someone to a place where they could possibly believe in god i don't think you necessarily are just going to do a similar kind of argument to get someone to believe that jesus christ is god and has you know therefore you're gonna is going to make a claim on your life and the way you live it because at that point God is no longer an abstract object that just becomes another part of your general worldview. God becomes a very personal thing. Uh, and, and it's, you, you know, it's a more dangerous thing, frankly, it's, it's, it becomes a more kind of, uh, threatening sort of a concept because it becomes very close and personal to us. Um, I do believe there are good reasons to believe that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, you know, I could, we could, you know, spend the rest of the show talking about, you know, the resurrection and the evidence for that. I I think there are some really interesting historical arguments for why we should take the story of Jesus seriously and the things he said about himself and this idea that he rose from the dead again. But all of that, you know, in the end, um, I think the reason, if I'm perfectly honest, the reason why I think a lot of people would, would not want to go that extra, that extra route is because, it stops being just an intellectual issue and it becomes a very personal issue. If, if we say that Jesus Christ is Lord, you know, that's, that's very different thing to saying there's a God who created the universe, because if I say Jesus is Lord, it means there's a personal response that I have to make from that. Um, CS Lewis was, was very interesting on this, you know, um, he 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 basically said, as long as God remains a distant abstract idea, uh, a lot of people they can live with that perfectly fine. But if we find on the other end of the leash there is a God who is alive and wants to get in touch with us, suddenly we might find, you know, that a very scary prospect, and and we 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 might decide we don't want to investigate that God any longer. So um yeah. Uh, So I I think it becomes very personal. It becomes um, an issue of the heart at that point. Um, And we have to ask ourselves some really tough questions if we are going to if we are going to go that route, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tati, who couldn't be here today, uh, admits that she doesn't believe there's anything that could ever convince her of God's existence. Um, In fact, when she came on the podcast, we discussed how years ago I told her that if I died and found out that Christ wasn't who he said he was, I'd be mad. (laughs) And during our recording, she brought that up and said, if that had happened to me, if that happened to me, it'd be my own foolish fault for believing a lie. As nicely as she possibly could, she said that. (laughs) But with all due respect to Tati, if she's right, and when we die, there's nothing anyway, I cease to exist and my foolishness goes down to the grave. It dies there with me. But if I'm right and we meet with the holy God after death, that quote unquote foolishness could have eternal consequences, right? And yet, as Tati shared on this podcast, along with several other young women I've had the privilege of talking with, the question of eternal destiny, the existence of God, what we're here for, uh, whether Jesus is really who he said he was, those questions are not a popular conversation starter for most Gen Zers. Um, it appears that most young people, at least from my perspective, uh, are much more interested in social media status, schoolwork, vacation plans than God. So what argument, Justin, would you give to a younger generation, someone like Lou or Tati, about why these questions are so important?
2: Mm. i think I think I want to start with with anyone at all really, Lou, Tati. Any anyone maybe of a Gen Z millennial, Doc Mark. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyone, um, I'd want to ask. Well, what what are they interested? In? What do they think is important? Maybe the question of Jesus and God seems irrelevant to them. That's fine. Um, but what 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 are they passionate about? Um, and and that they might say, well, it's my family, or it's a particular cause. It's a you know particular issue around justice you know it, it might be about equal rights it might be about um you know caring for the poor it may be um you know uh some 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 issue of of of, of uh, lgbt rights w- whatever it might be most people you know do have something that they're passionate about and they do have some kind of uh, a cause for which they're willing to to sacrifice something you know and to that extent um you know that that for me would definitely be a way in because I think once you've established that there's something people care about, you you're then you you're then kind of you know talking their language. You're you're kind of getting under their skin. You're asking what what is it that does matter to you? Uh, what you, you're you're starting to dig into what makes life meaningful and um, what gives purpose to their life. Uh, and for me. Um, the key then is is as a christian i believe that whatever sort of is good and true and beautiful in their life can find its ultimate home in jesus christ that there is actually some way in which that that story that they are part of can be reflected in the story of jesus christ now that's not going to be a conversation which immediately turns to Jesus. And you don't want to, in a sense, force it in that direction at every possible moment or else people just feel like they're being preached out or, you know, it's, you know, you're just trying to convert them. But I'd want to kind of dig into why they're passionate about that, where that passion comes from. And ultimately, I suppose the question of, you know, if they do believe in, you know, something like, say, equality, um, I'd want to, to, to point them in the direction of um, the fact that that belief is is a kind of form of faith in itself you know that many people think of themselves as well i'm not religious you know i don't have any faith i'm not you know but actually as soon as you believe in something that you can't see touch or feel but which you believe exists you're 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 investing in something that is a bit like faith um and when you say say that you are passionate about justice in the world you know um, you know, perhaps you are a campaigner, you know, for, um, equal treatment of, of men and women say, um, well, th- you'd have, I'd want to ask, well, why, why, why do you believe in this concept of equality? Where did that come from? It's not something that has historically occurred to many people in the world. There's just been a, you know, biologically speaking, there's nothing in science or evolution that, Says this is the way the world should be. Um, that just is the way the world is. Um, historically, in cultures, you know, we've frequently, you know, for most of culture, we have existed in cultures where men and women have not been on an equal footing. Why? Why is this? You know, why do you believe that this is the way the world should be? Um, and again, I think you'll find that that ultimately most people just sense. Well, I just know it's true. I just know it's it's something that you know everyone should believe in. Um, and that's fine i don't disagree uh but i believe that when you pull on that thread what you'll find in the end is that there's a belief that there is something called justice and truth uh right and wrong beauty um purpose meaning in the world and that none of these things can be found by simply looking at you know the molecules and atoms and you know natural laws of the universe they, they exist somehow outside of all of that. And for me, um, that ultimately leads us back to a conversation about what kind of a world we're living in. Uh, And for me, the natural sort of the way way to understand that kind of a world in which such ideas exist is is a world in which where there is a moral lawgiver, where there is a source of justice, where there is a kind of story that we're meant to live by a way of understanding each other as humans that we're not just here by accident that we're not just here you know that we haven't just chosen you know randomly our beliefs about the way life should be but that actually there's there is a best way of living our life so that's kind of where i would take the conversation um and that's a very shortcut version of of what it would look like and it might be a conversation you have over several days or weeks um but ultimately I, I would want to sort of gently push that person towards ultimately examining why they believe what they believe about life and whether they can believe that on a purely atheistic view of reality or whether actually you need to have something more than that in order to to believe those things. Mm-hmm.
0: What are your thoughts on that, Lou?
1: Um, you talked about um, the root of good and evil, of justice and beauty in the episode two and I mean they had really different opinions on the matter of course but um, I found it interesting nonetheless and I find you said something and now that kind of made me think of it um, you said that talking about equal justice and equal rights uh, now we say I believe that women and men should have the same rights because it's the right thing to do because like it's how it's supposed to be. But that's not how humanity has thought, like that's that wasn't always like that. And there is some kind of evolution in that too, you know, what we believe it's right and what we believe is wrong. Um, in the episode, they you, you said something about how right and wrong at the core are the same everywhere and have been at all time but at the same time they are different um they are different like based on where you are on the planet and like at what time you are in history at what point in history and i find that really interesting because again you could bring it back to an evolution kind of idea like idea not not strictly I'm not talking about biology right now to be honest. Um, I'm talking about something um, I don't remember the exact words he said but he said something along the lines of um, evolution for us it took it took the longest amount of time right but for God it's just a blink of an eye and how it's just it was like that and i now
2: mm-hmm. it's,
1: it's gonna be a future so i feel like it will make sense um from this point of view to like it's it's a sense of like explanation that there's also evolution of right and wrong which i feel like it's it's really interesting i mean i'm not saying <laughs> that's strictly um what what I believe because it's, it's a whole deal, yeah, you yeah. know, I'm still trying yeah, to figure yeah. it out. Sure. Um, but I feel like it's really interesting. Mm. I It's something that personally I found really important to like yeah. understanding what people really care about and why they care about things. is yeah. just,
2: I mean, and if, when I
1: talk, yeah, you uh, go, go. Sorry. I was,
2: I was going to say, I mean, I, I, and I think I don't disagree with you that cultures change you know um standards of morality change over time between cultures um i think it was francis collins who raised this point that that even even so there are kind of core kind of moral yeah. views that that seem to to transcend time and culture you know just the, the very basic things of you shall mm-hmm. not murder you shall not you know stealing uh, justice right and wrong now that will look different in different cultures and places. And you will have quite different sort of ways in which men and women are treated, for instance, you know, uh, across different times and places. Um, I suppose for me, though, the the big question is whatever, whatever that cultural change looks like over time in in terms of different moralities and that sort of evolution of, you know, moral codes over time. um, The question is, is it progressing in a, particular direction is it getting better you know is where we are now when it comes to the treatment of men and women in our culture better than it was 500 years ago let's say and if you do say yes it's better you're you're making a a value judgment about it you're not you're not just saying it's changed of course it's changed but has it changed for the better or for the worse and as soon as you say, well, it's changed for the better, you, you immediately have to say, well, I've uh, I'm, I'm I'm viewing this from above. I'm, I'm saying there is a kind of standard out there and we are kind of progressing towards it. There's a kind of some some correct standard that exists already independent of me and independent of our culture. And and we're gradually coming closer and closer to it as we have more equality or more human rights whatever it is and for me that means that yes the moral zeitgeist changes in culture the question is what is it changing in relation to is there an ultimate standard which we are either progressing towards or falling away from and every time we just say the words yes it's better than it was we seem to be saying there's some standard out there that we're kind of we have, you know, we're either getting closer to or further away from. And even I felt Richard Dawkins, it, di- it wasn't kind of really addressed by Francis Collins, interestingly, in, in the show, but, but, you know, he said something like, you know, when he gave his kind of evolutionary explanation for, you know, why we do altruistic things, you know, which was fine, you know, that was his kind of evolutionary explanation. He said, I'm very glad we do that. Uh, you know, it's a very noble thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do. And I immediately I didn't have the chance, but I wanted to say, but hang on. Haven't you just said that there's a different standard out there, quite apart from whatever's going on evolutionarily, that that means you're happy about this, that that there's something right about that behaviour. And, and so for me, it's it's like I think you can't escape God there. I think that it's like if you if you if you're implicitly acknowledging there's some standard that exists independently of, of our moral zeitgeist and the, you know, the different ways in which morality works itself out on the ground. You're kind of saying ultimately th- there's something outside of all of this evolutionary process, which we can judge it by. Um, and I, I just find that that is, a, for me, has always been a very powerful argument for the idea that there is a, something beyond us that that, that is a kind of the, that has to be the kind of the true north to which our morality aspires um and uh so i frequently meet atheists who who say something along the lines of, of what you kind of hinted out there you know well look at culture it's you know everyone's got different standards and everything else but when i ask them but you know are we better you know, is it better that we're not you know that we don't support slavery anymore or that we're not you know that we're at we're not supporting racism and that men and women have equal rights yes of course it's better yes well then you know that that means that there's a directionality to this you know that there's a kind of you know as martin luther king put it the 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 the, the universe um there is a moral arc to the universe and it bends towards justice there's this sense that it's there's something else out there that we're kind of um we're aiming at um I don't know if that makes sense to you, Lou.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, if there is a goal, if there is a perfect balance of good and right, there must be a greater design. And if there's there is a design, there is a designer. Like is that what you we're talking about right now?
2: I think so, but it's more than just more than just a design because I think that I think there is evidence for kind of physical design that got us here
1: yeah but like on a on a more of a psychological yeah on a moral
2: basis i think there's also evidence for a kind of design and and it's i sometimes make the point that you know you could look out there at the the universe and the stars and say how did we get here that's one way of saying there's evidence for god but i can equally look inside myself and say why do i believe in goodness and love and right and wrong that's another kind of evidence that there's a god who made me because I can only make sense of those intuitions that these are really things that exist. If there's a kind of, you know, something out there that, that kind of makes sense of that, that that makes sense of that intuition. So, so yeah, that's, that's for me quite a, that's always been for me a powerful argument, you know, for, for God.
0: Hmm. I just have a couple of final questions, Justin, this has been great. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting that Dawkins said, and I wasn't surprised that he said it, um, but he said that God is not necessary. But when I was researching, uh, Dawkins earlier, um, you know, he's 81 years old, I think, uh, 81, uh, that's pretty close to the end of uh, lifespan here. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, um, do you feel it's honest, of Dawkins or anyone to say that God is not necessary as you're coming to the end of your, your life. I mean, do you feel like maybe there's a softness that happens as we start to, um, encounter our own mortality?
2: I think it will, it will vary from person to person. Um, I think probably for a lot of people and I do meet people for whom as, as they sense their own mortality, um, it does force them to think about God in a different way or to, to, to question things. Um, I think when you're young and you feel basically like you're going to live forever, maybe that's, you know, that's a point at which you don't tend to think very much about the idea of of what, what happens when it does come to an end. I think sometimes it is in those moments. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm married to... To Lucy she's a minister of a church and so she's often with people sometimes people who are only very vaguely connected to, to church and Christianity but they come to her at the point where they are maybe going through a crisis or there is a loved one who is near to death or or when there's a funeral to happen and it's often only at those points that that many people think about issues of faith and religion um and I'm always surprised at how many people have never really thought about it up to that point because for me i suppose from where i'm sitting i'm thinking well isn't this the most important thing you can think about you know um potentially and and yeah i think many people live life sort of at a level where they just it just doesn't you know you know life just carries on and they and it's only when they reach those crisis moments or or that moment of of mortality that that suddenly they think well what's what's waiting for me on the other side and how do i deal with this you know the these feelings and the you know this sense um how how whether that makes you know a difference to Richard Dawkins I don't know I mean he may he it may be that he feels very content that his worldview you know is what it is and that when he goes it will just be lights out and thank you and goodbye um uh, and you know I wouldn't want to to presume to say you know whether or not you know the the advance of age makes any difference to the way he weighs weighs those things um having said that i know plenty of other people who for whom i think being put in touch with their mortality does change the kinds of questions they ask i think we see it on a global scale you know when when covid hit um suddenly a lot of people who were quite comfortable and felt sort of cushioned from maybe The threat of death or you know suffering in in our relatively prosperous western world was suddenly brought up close to the fact that they it turns out we have relatively little control over what happens to us and we are at you know we are mortal and we are at potentially at the mercy of the next virus that comes around or you know um similarly i saw a similar thing with you we know when the war in ukraine happened um the first time a, a, a war on European soil, and suddenly the realization that evil people exist who are will, you know, do murderous and terrible things. And we don't live in such a you know cozy, uh, safe world that we maybe thought we did. And every time we have one of those moments, I think it it causes people to question the nature of things the reality of things and and in a funny way i think that's often when people maybe start to turn back to god maybe start to um ask themselves whether whether the world that they are used to is actually um under threat and and actually whether they maybe need to be asking whether there's more to this life than than you know what's been presented to them so far so God has a way I think of using those circumstances sometimes to to wake people up you know as C.S. Lewis said um often pain or difficult circumstances are God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world and 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 I sometimes feel like yeah that's that's the case often when we're confronted with our with our mortality
0: yeah yeah, Tati, when she was on here, she was saying I that she didn't think there was anything that could possibly sway her atheism. <laughs> uh, but I think of Saul in the Bible who uh, you know, Jesus got a hold of him uh in, in the way that was necessary and he ended up writing most of the New Testament, which I yeah, think is yeah. I God mean, can do
2: anything. <laughs> exactly. And and I would say to Tati, you know, maybe you feel like that now, but you know, there are people who have Said things like that in the past, and and suddenly they've found, you know, life circumstances change, and and who knows what what might be the thing that 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 that, that might end up changing your mind. But uh, yeah, yeah, interesting.
0: Well, well, Justin, I have one final question for you. It's the same question I ask at the end of every podcast episode. Uh, Lou, do you remember it? Do you want to say it, or do you want me just to go ahead?
1: Oh, I mean I think I rem- I mean Go I remember the
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Now I'm oh no, now I'm scared I'll get it wrong. <laughs> um so it's
0: Defining Something um, Real.
1: Yeah, so defining something okay. I don't remember the like format of the question. Oh it's okay. I just remember the gist. Yeah. Okay. You got it. However you wanna um, say it. Okay. So um between the gifts that uh, God Gives so it's um, there, I don't think I got them in or in the right order though. Um, restoration, restoration, uh, eternity, authenticity, eternity, authenticity, love. Yeah, Was there, wasn't there another one at some point?
0: Restoration or redemption, they were kind of interchangeable. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah.
1: Sorry. I got it now. Um, Which one uh, do you think right now you need or want the most?
2: Oh, so I think. um, I think. I think the one that right now is on my mind of, of those four restoration, eternity, authenticity and love. Um, they're all important of course they are but the one that i'm i'm that's leaping out me right now is is restoration or all redemption as as you put it janelle um because um i'm always reminded that that we live in this very difficult world and um so many of the people i meet who have intellectual objections to christianity it's it's part a lot of their objections come from the fact we live in a world that's that's so difficult sometimes is is so full of tragedy and suffering. Um, And yet we believe in a God who entered that tragedy and that suffering, suffered himself, became part of that story, became broken himself in this broken creation, but somehow in the process of doing that lifted it again, out of that, and and became the first example of what a new creation looks like. Gave us that example in his life, but became that example in his resurrection. And for me, I find that I found that a sign of hope. I find it a sign of hope for us, for this world, for this whole universe, which which you know so often seems to be full of tragedy and suffering and viruses and everything else. And for me, it's a great hope that that actually we're not a story about everything going south and eventually winding down and dying and decaying, but that we're actually in a story in which God steps in and restores and redeems and brings, brings it back to its original purpose. That's a story that involves eternity and involves love and involves authenticity. But for me, uh, I want to be part of that movement that God has begun in Jesus Christ of restoring and redeeming the world. Uh, We do that. Through everyday actions, the way we treat people, the way we model God's love to others. But I, I find it a huge adventure to be part of a much bigger story in which God is recreating, redeeming, renewing this world, and that He chooses us to be part of that, and that we will see one day the creation as God intended it, as, as God, you know, where we will see each other as redeemed, restored people. In communion with God and with each other, uh, that gives me hope when I look around at the world today. Um, so, so for me, it's it, of those four. I, w- I today I'm choosing restoration because I think that's that's kind of ultimately what it's all about.
0: Well, thank you so much, Justin Brierley. Lou, thank you so much for being here. I just appreciate you both so much. Until next time.
2: God bless you both. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that. But if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him until next time.